Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Forgive me. For not oh, I'm going to be wired, am I? Yeah. yeah. Is this going to be recorded? It is going to be. Oh, I better be careful what I say then, yeah. isn't I? <laughs> I'll put it up here. Yep, yep. Oh, Andy. <laughs> Andy knows, Andy knows. Okay, we're fans of Reinhard Bonke. Read his autobiography, 700 pages, change your life, seriously. But as a young man, finishing in a Welsh, finishing in a Welsh Bible college, shared a room with Bryn Jones, some of you know that name, He was uh, walking in a part of London and he saw a placard which said George Jeffries. And he knocked on the door as he felt inspired to go there. George Jeffries was a very old man at that time. And a lady opened the door and he said, does George Jeffries live here? And she said, he does. Can I see him? No, you can't. And then a voice came, very croaky old voice said, please show him in. And God had spoken to George Jeffries and he came in and Reinhardt there and he said, well, I've heard of you and he prayed for him and that was where the anointing came from and then George Jeffries died the next day. So there are some amazing stories of these guys and when you read, when you read of the Jeffries brothers, I actually ministered in a church in a place called Keffin which is near Bridgend in Wales some years ago, which was one of the churches that they founded. Well, when you, when you read of what took place in their meetings, and, you know, Christians can, you know, doll it up a bit and exaggerate, but the secular press doesn't. And most of the records that we have of what took place in their meetings are not from Christians, they are from the secular press. And it just causes us to cry out to God, doesn't it? God, please, visit us, do it again. I think the visit has to come first because I think it has to do something in us. I, when I got invited with Sue to come here to Brixton, we were so thrilled. You don't know how through, because we grew up, I grew up particularly uh, just after the war, that's the 1945, <laughs> 39, just, just to get it clear, not quite as old as George Jeffries. Um, I grew up in South London and I uh, went to school in Dulwich, not the college, um, Kingsdale. It was as a brand new school. I went there in my, to do O-levels, in the O-levels and A-levels years. But most of my mates were West Indians who lived Hernhill, Tulsill and particularly Brixton. In those days, we used to say, if you drive a car through Brixton, never stop, as you won't have any wheels left if you do. <laughs> I, I think it's probably got better since those days. But um, I used to work every Saturday for 18 shillings and sixpence. Um, I used to manage, or manage, I used to look after for James Webster, bespoke shoemaker, next to Bon Marche, a little shop he had, and very exclusive shoes. I don't think it's there now, but it's not long ago that uh, that ceased to be. But a lot of my, a lot of my mates were, particularly because we I was a, uh, very much sportsman in my life, 
Um, so a lot of them we were, and I looked at a photograph of us on, on uh, I think it was Streatham, Streatham Common when we were breaking the ice to, 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 to have a wash after playing soccer years ago. And you know, most, most of the, there was, I think there was probably, probably about five of us with white faces and the rest were different shades of whatever. But we were very much, uh, uh, and I grew up with that, that diversity, which I thank God for, to be honest. So it's so thrilling. I didn't realise this was Brixton here. I thought, this is more the Streatham end, isn't it? But uh, for me, Brixton is right down where the market is and all those things. And I used to, get, used to buy black Sobrani cigarettes there. In the, uh, um, it's the only place you could get them in those days was in the market um, at Brixton. 55 years ago, um, when I left school, I went to join the Prudential Assurance Company. That's where Sue and I met on the legal department. And... Um, uh, and uh, I, I went to a meeting one evening. There were 5,000 people there uh, in that office, and they employed me to play tennis, actually. I really did any work. Um, but um, I went to a meeting. It wasn't a meeting I expected to go to. I expected to go to something else, but I get lost all the time. Um, even Satnav gives up on me. And, and I went to a Christian union meeting instead of a, a trade union meeting or a staff union meeting. And for the first time in my life, I heard someone talk about intimacy. I knew something about intimacy, but not intimacy with Jesus. And it was a returning missionary coming from somewhere or other, very, very old. She, she was dressed in black. She had sort of had a flower pot on her head. Uh, she's probably younger than me, but she spoke about intimacy with Jesus. I could only describe myself at that time as a very happy pagan. I didn't have a religious fibre in my body, and I don't have one still. So if you think you're going to get anything religious today, that's not me. But I heard this, this woman speak of someone who she couldn't see. She couldn't kick a ball with, hit a ball with throw a ball with, she couldn't go and drink and eat with him, she couldn't sleep with him, couldn't go to the cinema with him, and yet there was something about this woman's story that spoke of something that really arrested me. And so I wasn't converted then, but I just thought, I, I need, to, need to investigate this. I went and bought a New Testament, and I saw something which surprised me. It wasn't Jesus, it, Jesus wasn't a problem. If you'd said to me, do you believe in Jesus? I'd say, of course I do, he's the son of God. But I didn't know what that could mean. But having heard this woman, she, 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 she impressed me in a way that no one ever, well, I don't think I'd ever heard that before, to be honest. But I saw something as I read the New Testament. I saw the church. It's strange, really. You'd expect you'd see the, you know, Jesus and all that. But, but the thing that I saw was the church. And my view of the church was not very high. Um, I had no time particularly for the church. It was something that it never figured particularly in my life and certainly didn't want to attend a church. But I saw something and I wondered, where is this? Six months later, I had an amazing encounter with the Lord Jesus um, in Hoban Viaduct um, uh, under a British, old British evangelist. I can't even remember his name now. Remember his name, Sue? Dick, Dick, some, Dick Reese, that was right, and, and uh, Dick Reese. Some of you, I can see. Yeah, um, he was, he was, he was England's version of Billy Graham, really. Um, but he was a great uh, elderly gentleman, a great preacher, and I came to Christ. But I always wondered about the church, 
Um, ten years later, I moved to Biggin Hill. Uh, the Prudential had got rid of me and I'd got rid of them long ago and got into private practice, done a lot of exams and worked for a firm of solicitors in Bromley. And they said, well, you'll you're, you're make some friends in Biggin Hill. Why don't we open a branch office in Biggin Hill? There's a lot of conveyancing there. There was a bit of crime, not too much because there's such 600 police families live there. Um, but, you know, so it was a place to explore. So we moved to Biggin Hill. We were 29, 30 years of age to open this lawyer's office. A little Baptist church we attended. Well, it didn't have much life there, but a few people were listening to Arthur Wallace's tapes on restoration. And we'd been, I'd been baptised in the Holy Spirit shortly after being, uh, after being saved. So um, we, we, we sort of went along there. And to cut a long story short, four years later, I've left the legal profession. I'm attending Spurgeon's College a couple of days a week to do some theological examinations on studies, which I loved and particularly the church history. And I left the legal profession and became the full-time pastor. I'm even an accredited Baptist minister, so you are getting the real thing today, you know. Um, but it was my... I realised this is my opportunity to see if this thing works. Is it possible that you can take this book and build something that in the 20, 20th century, as it was then, that looks something like what it was in that first century. And I guess that's what I've given my life for, uh, to be honest. When you talk about the apostolic, I think of that with a very small a, but to me it means reproducing what Jesus wants. So I really want to talk this morning about the church, not because I think you you, you, you need to make any changes, that's up to your leaders, but I think sometimes it's good to be reminded of what we are trying to build. At, at Biggin Hill, when, when, I, when, I, when I took on the church, you know, going from the sort of salary that I had then to the salary I was going to have to live with for some time, um, yeah, it, it, in some ways it was a sacrifice, but it wasn't really because I knew I was called. But the question I asked myself was, what am I going to build? I've got, an, I've got a chance now. And because we were out in Biggin Hill, the Baptists left us alone, really. Um, so, so we had pretty much a free hand. I got accredited, so they weren't going to interfere. Um, and, but I, I, I looked at, you can, there seemed to be two ways you could build church. You, and I looked at some of the great churches. I looked at people like, um, people like John Stott and, and uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones and people like that that I had great admiration for them, enjoyed their, their, their writings and commentaries. So I looked at them and I, I realised that you can build on your gift, all gifts, and some of those guys multi-gifted, and that's good. But I felt, I don't know, I, actually, I don't feel that's the way to build. I didn't want to be called reverend. I didn't want to be called pastor. I didn't want any titles in the church. I wanted the quality. I wanted us to be just the family of God. Nobody more important than one another. Everybody, everybody's, you know, just who they are before God, bringing their gifts. And when I looked at study the New Testament, it seemed to me that, that what, 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 what the Apostle Paul looked to build um, as he planted churches was a functioning body. And I thought, that's what I'm going to build, if it's possible. If it's not... This book don't work. We'll try the Quran or something else, um, but we'll, we're, we're going to give it a chance. So let's turn to Acts chapter eleven. One of the passages that deeply affected me then, and 
and still does today, along with that passage in Acts 2.42 onwards. It was those two passages. But just, just this, um, a tragedy has taken place. That's the context here. It's about 10 years after the resurrection, 10 years after Pentecost. So it's quite a decade later. Um, and a tragedy takes place. And uh, so I'm going to pick this up in verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks. You could, you could put their pagans... You know, it's, 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 it, uh, the, the Greek, it's okay, but it doesn't quite for us. We're talking about, you know, idolaters. We're talking about godless people, okay? Um, so we'll say, speaking to pagans, happy pagans like me, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was upon them. Again, that's an Old Testament phrase which speaks of uh, the dynamic of God, signs and wonders and things like that. Uh, So the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So something something was happening in this great city, Antioch, third most important city in the Roman world at that time. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barney was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And then there's another move of God. Then another, a great number of people were brought to the faith. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus. That's about 100 miles away. That's a three-day walk for those guys. Uh, About 100 miles away. And when he found Saul, he brought him to Antioch. So for a, a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people And the disciples were first called Christians there at Antioch. During this time, some troublemakers or prophets, whatever you want to call them, came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Prophets are troublemakers. All right? You don't need too many prophets attending the church. Once a year is enough. All right? Okay? And if you have Steve Oliver coming, you'll lose all your money. So I'll tell you that now. Okay? So he is so prophetic. I was a rich man until I met Steve. (laughs) One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire world, Roman world. Now, Luke is a historian, so he gives credibility to this prophetic word because you look it up historically, there was a great famine right across the Roman world at this time in the reign of of Claudius. This and uh, the disciples... Each, according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Lord Jesus, we love your word, but we love it when we can see it in action. And that's what we see here now. Help us, Lord, as we, as we just learn something this morning. Stir our hearts with faith to believe for something more than what we're enjoying at this present time. So... What I like about this passage is that actually Barnabas saw something. And it was birthed out of something pretty tragic. Um, Stephen was a great young man. And I guess humanly speaking, we would say, wow, what a future in the church for this guy. 
I mean, you've just got to read chapters 7 of the Acts and the way he just lays it all before the rulers in Jerusalem and, you know, how Paul was involved, Saul of Tarsus was involved, and basically uh, he was murdered. And, but what happened out of, out of that was that there was a fleeing from Jerusalem. Um, I think when you, when, when you look at the, the refugees you're on your television screens and you see refugees... The Christians in Jerusalem, by and large, became refugees. It says that just some of the apostles stayed, but there was a fleeing because this was the first real persecution of the church that was taking place at this time. And we just need to get our heads around that. So these people gathered what possessions they could. And if you look at those, look at the back of your Bible, the maps you never ever use, you will find that some of them travelled 300 miles in order to flee persecution. But one of the strange things about them was this. Everywhere they went, they shared the gospel. Despite being in fear of their lives and in jeopardy, they shared the gospel. But they shared it primarily with Jewish communities. They went to synagogues, they shared it, and people come to Christ. Then new communities came out of that as the synagogues expelled them. But it says, but something, something happened that had never happened before. Some of them, and those that were from Cyprus particularly, and that's where Barnabas actually came from, they went to Antioch, this great cosmopolitan city, and they began to share the gospel, not just with Jews, but with pagans, people who were idolatrous, people who were involved in all sorts of strange practices as part of their pagan religion, people that generally Christians have nothing to do with, to our shame. Wish I was able to come to the pub with you um, today because those are the places I love where the pagans are. But they began to share the gospel. Now, what you've got to understand is this when news of this got through to Jerusalem and the apostles, and particularly James, the, the earthly brother of Jesus, there was some concern because they wanted to make sure that what was happening up there was kosher. And it wasn't kosher at all. Um, and they, 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 and it, was, it was a difficult situation, so they needed somebody who was diplomatic to go and suss the whole thing out. Now, I understand where they're coming from because basically their identity was still the law and the keeping of the law. And as we know, the law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's what it can't do. But nevertheless, their identity was very much in the law. And they wanted to know that those that were coming to faith were coming and the law was part of that, that coming to Jesus, and particularly circumcision, observance of feast festivals and things like that. But particularly that there was morality. So I understand their concerns, and we need to understand that, because sometimes the law and grace issue, because we're New Testament, we think, wow, grace, but there's another side to it. So they send Barney. Barney's a nice guy, full of the spirit and faith, and he goes there, and he sees something. He sees, it says in my translation, and probably yours, he sees the evidence of the grace of God. Actually, that's not in the Greek there. Just the word is, he sees grace. I think there's one or two French people here. In the, in the French translation, it says that actually. He sees grace. It wasn't the doctrine of grace. It was the outworking of, of grace. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of these people, a little forensic at times. 
I, a, little, a little verse like this gets my somewhat sanctified, not totally, but somewhat sanctified imagination going. And I think, I wonder what he saw. I'll tell you why. Because he never went back to Jerusalem. If you travelled to a church in another part of this country or another part of the world and you had to write home to your wife and say, darling, I'm not coming home. Will you please pack everything up, get the kids and get on the first plane because I've seen something that I've never seen before. So he saw something in Antioch that was not there in Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem was still locked up in this thing of the law and Judaism and some would even say that there was the dynasty of Jesus because his brother had taken leadership of the church. You know, we haven't got time to get into all that. But obviously for Barney, he comes and he thinks, wow, wow, this is, this is amazing. This, so this is what Jesus wanted. This community, this one man in Christ has you know, um, Steve Oliver uses that phrase so often. You talk in terms of diversity. I've got your book. I didn't read it. I, um, I, I took it on holiday with me, but I never got round to read. Around a pool, it just, with the sun, it just, but I will. But diversity, whatever you call it, he saw it, and he went and, got, and then he goes and gets his mate, Saul of Tarsus. Now, Again, it's a decade later. Saul's been saved. He's been called to be this great apostle, but he's not. He's not at this time. In fact, at this time, he's been beaten up umpteen times. He's lost all things. He may have even been married. We don't know. But he's, he's, and he must have been wondering, like some of us have wondered at times, that call that was on my life, what happened to it? Was it real? Was it a figment of my imagination? This church that, that Jesus showed me, etc., etc., and Saul says, goes to go, Paul, um, Barnabas goes down and he gets hold of Saul. He says, "I've seen it. I've seen it, Saul. This is what you were called for. What, what have you seen? I've seen. I've seen the ecclesia. I've seen what Jesus wanted. I see what I see, and I see what Stephen challenged those leaders about the costume. I've seen it. Come on, mate. So they hike back." Now, I think, <laughs> I think this. You can check me out. I think when Paul got there, he saw more than Barnabas. Because, see, you see, they spent a year teaching the church. And what did they teach? Well, they didn't have to teach about church. It was there. They didn't lay the foundations. Who laid the foundations? We don't know. A bunch of nobodies. It's lovely when nobodies do it, isn't it? I think Jesus must love it when nobody's doing it. No apostles with big A's are over their names, just ordinary people that have seen something. They come on, let's build it. Spirit of God will help us. And I think what Paul saw was, wow, God called me to the nations. I can take this. This is what we can build and this will change the nation, particularly the Gentile world. So what did he see now? I've been told I've got to finish by one o'clock. Um, so I'm going to try and do a bit better than that. Um, what did he say? I shared with you four or five things. Do you know what? I think the first thing he saw was this. This people were happy, Jews and Gentiles alike, because they knew their sins were forgiven. Now you might think, hold on, that's a bit basic. But it's often a basic that many people don't get hold of. That's why Paul has to write and say, there is no condemnation, or could translate, there is no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we got saved, 
What, what was dealt with at the cross? How good is grace? I think it's better than a lot of people crack it up to be. So I think at the cross, Jesus dealt with our sins, past, present, and future. I've got no intention of sinning today, but if I do, I have an advocate with the Father who is interceding for me and who bled for me 2,000 years ago. He's dealt with. If you don't believe that, join the Catholics because, see, they have other means of grace just in case. You with me? Now, don't have a, word, have a go at me about the Catholics afterwards. I was going to sell you my, 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 my films on the history of the Reformation. That will convince you. But there's, there's some religious stuff that actually keeps people from the, the real experience of Jesus and their substitution. Now, who's saved and who is not is not my business. But for me, my business is I want it to be according to God's word. I think, and you see, I think when, when Barnabas saw this, he thought, hold on. No circumcision, no law, no observance of this and that, no, no, no crossing, the, crossing the T's and dotting the I. Well, how are they so happy? Because the religion they were in previously, in their, in their Hellenism, was, was philosophical, but some of it was pretty corrupt. They'd been so changed that they knew the past was dealt with once and for all. And that made them a very happy people. They were living in peace and they were enjoying the grace of God. And that wasn't happening in Jerusalem and it didn't happen for a long time. Historically, the Jewish Christian church never accepted Paul's writings for two whole centuries after his death because there was still that issue of law and grace. But these people, these people were what you might call they were free. And when a community meets people like that, it takes note. It sees something that is attractive. So it's not surprising that when Barnabas goes and he adds his ministry, which was apostolic and very much an encouraging ministry to what had gone previously, there's another move of God. Why? Because, because it was there living on the ground. We, we, we can talk a lot about the grace of God, understand the grace of God, but what people need to see is the grace of God in action. And uh, you've had Steve here, haven't you? And, you know, he talks a lot about we're here for one another's success, we're here for one another. As a, as a sphere of ministry, actually that has changed us a lot because we can't be in competition anymore. We can't be looking after our self-interest anymore simply because we don't do that anymore because we're here for one another. It takes time. But it works, and it's the grace of God. The second thing, uh, the second thing here, was friendship, because Jews and Gentiles did not meet together. They did not eat together. In fact, Jews would go home from the marketplaces and they would scrub themselves down and go through all sort of ceremonial thing. Because even associating or, or or mixing or touching Gentiles was an anathema to them, and they've been brought up on that. They've been brought up to be separate. Why were they brought up to be separate? Because they were to be separate for God. But they were to be a light to lighten the Gentiles. They failed to do that. Why? Because they were in Adam like everybody else. There was only one true Jew that ever fulfilled the Father's heart. That's right. Only one true Jew. One true Israelite. And now the new covenant has come. Now there is to be no separation between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. There is, that's, that's gone. The, the new covenant has come 
And so Barnabas is there. Here, they're eating bacon sarnies. <laughs> Blow me if James comes up here, there's trouble. Whoa, where are we going to explain this? Well, I'm not going back there to tell him this. <laughs> they were friends. When people walk through your door on a Sunday morning or go to your group or meet you in the pub a bit later on, if what doesn't bowl them over is the fact you actually love one another, then we're building the wrong thing. Because the, the wine skin is important, but the wine, the wine is, is, has, has got to be the wine of the new covenant where we love one another. That's what Jesus said. They'll know you really belong to one another, belong to me by the way you love one another. Friendship. So when I went to Biggin Hill, um, uh, as I say, no titles, don't call me pastor. Um, not very good at pastoring anyway. Don't call me pastor. Um, I'm Ray. I'm just like the rest of you. Uh, nobody's going to be in, uh, more important in this, in this um, fellowship than, than anyone else. And it really came home to me because what happened was we began to grow considerably. And a, called, a guy called Pete Paris had prophesied one Tuesday night in our little chapel building, which was about a third the size of this, I guess, about a third. Um, and he said, one day there's going to come a day when you're going to be meeting on a Sunday morning. This place can be packed. There'll be people in the car park getting saved. And I can see it, and he's a prophet. And, uh, and a couple of years later, it happened. I was baptising uh, nine people that morning. I ended up baptising nearly 30 because people got saved in the car park. And I, I baptise them when they get saved. Okay, um, people say to me, what if they weren't saved? So they got wet, who cares? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. You know, and uh, one guy was jogging past uh, our church building and he came in to have a look, couldn't get out. And they had to pass him through a window and uh, he came and saw me on the Monday night. I didn't know he was, I didn't even see him there. He said to me, you must meet my wife. Talk to my wife. I said, why? I went out jogging and I was a long time... And she said, where you been? He said, I've been to church. She said, you're lying. You've been with that woman again. He said, you need to come and tell me. I led him to the Lord that night. We baptised him the next week. But this is what was, this was what was happening. And of course, cars were coming. And we did have a car park. We had a bit of old ground with lots of nails and glass. And I tell you what, growth gives you a lot of problems. Everybody's grumbling about tyres and all the rest of it. So we got in touch with Ready Mix. And they said, yes, they could dump a couple of loads of ready mix one Saturday morning. And so I said to the church, right, everybody be there Saturday morning. And uh, dirty old clothes, welly boots, and a plank of wood. Because ready mix are going to come and dump this. And unless we work, we'll have two mountains, and you can't park cars on mountains. <laughs> so everybody came, and, and it, was, it was a fun morning. We worked very hard. We had a car park at the end. But God, God impressed on me. He said, Ray... That's how I always want it to be in this church. No one knows who's who. We're just all mucking together, doing the work that God has called us to. And so they were, they were friends. The other thing is they were holy. It's, it's, I, think, I think sometimes, I think it's difficult to build a holy church with religious people. I do, I really do. Because they're miserable anyway. <laughs> you can't live under law and be happy. <laughs> Because you're condemned all the time, aren't you? Praise God for forgiveness. Dale Moody said, one good friend I'll have to say goodbye to at the gates of heaven, but he served me faithfully. His name is forgiveness. And I think, oh, praise God for forgiveness. Because we are, we are fallible. 
We mess up at times. We don't intend to, but we do. But God is so full of grace and mercy. He forgives us. So, and it says here, these, these, these people were holy. How do I know that? Because it says they were first called Christ-like ones in Antioch. Now, where would you expect them to have been called Christians first? Now, come on, think about it. Yeah, Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting? In one of the most pagan cities in the, in the Roman world, they were first called Christians. Why was that? I think because in, perhaps in Jerusalem, it didn't look a lot different because they were moral living people, these Jewish people. They loved the law and they did live according to it. But as Paul says, you know, you can't have a, you can't have a righteousness that saves you by keeping the law. But these people, the contrast must have been amazing. Can you just imagine? Oh, and you've, you've just got saved. You're, in, you're living in Antioch. One of your mates comes and says, you need to come along to the temple with me. There's some new chicks there. Owen, <laughs> you really need, I tell you, boy, you really need to come. Come on, where have you been? And we always used to come to the temple. Well, I, I, I don't do that anymore. Why? Do, do you need something to help you or something? Do you need some Viagra or something? You, 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 come on, we've got all this stuff now. No, 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 you don't understand. I've, I've got Jesus. Oh, that's a new one. What, what does that do for you? Well, it, it's not what that does for me. It's what he does. He's changed my life. <laughs> do you know what? I've got peace. I feel clean. Do you know, yeah, those chicks back at the temple, they were okay. But do you know what? I never felt good about it. I never, when I went home to my wife, I was living in secrecy and, and she knew anyway, really. Now, I tell you folks, a lot of Christians live this way today. They just don't go to the temple, but there's other temples they worship at. And it's all there on websites and all sorts of things. But now, Owen, he says to his mate, come along to our meeting. How dare you? Come along to our meeting. Hear about this Jesus for yourself. In fact, we got, we got a guy from Jerusalem. Barney, nice guy. You'll love him. And his mate comes, and guess what? This community grows. They were holy. But if you, if you look at the root of the word holiness, it, it's, it, it means to separate, doesn't it? That's for the root of the word. It, sometimes it's difficult for us to get, get, get the right English word, but it's, it's, it's this thing of separation. When, when I grew up, I got saved. I've been a, a, um, I still am a sportsman. Um, got a few new bits and pieces. Um, but tennis was my life for many years. I actually played for the London Borough of... Where are we here? I, can't, I, I, played, against, I played for the London Borough of Lambeth against um, Vincennes in Paris three times. And it was good tennis. I mean, I, and our, our captain was the number one in England at the time, so there was ten, ten men singles. And never lost. Ten, eight, and six I was. Third year I was number six. So they, and after that went downhill. Um, but um, so uh, what, was, what was I saying? I can't remember what I was saying now. Yeah, no, but when I... So I, I had lots of friends after tennis. You'd sit down, have a beer with someone, and I would share the Lord with them. And it wasn't, it wasn't a difficult thing. It was the most natural thing for me. Always has been. I believe that's why we... Back, that's why we're baptised in the Spirit, to be effective, dynamic witnesses. But um, our vicar was, you know, a bit more law than grace. In fact, a lot more law than grace. And the, I remember him saying to me, now you're a Christian, you've got to give up all those friends. And 
I said to him, hold on a minute. Wasn't Jesus the friend of sinners? He said, yeah, but you're not Jesus. You need to remember that. <laughs> well, I didn't believe that. Well, I know I'm not Jesus, but, I, you know, next best thing. You know, next best thing if they're pagans, yeah? And you as well. So I got an invite to a stag party. Do you know what a stag party is? Yeah, night before guys get married. Now, I've always been a leader, but when I was a pagan, I used to sing all the songs, tell all the dirty jokes and all that sort of thing. That's what I did, and I did it very well. And sometimes I have to discipline my mind, because some of that stuff does still be there. Mademoiselle of Armateurs and all that sort of ball it in Vanessa. I used to tell those stories. My mate Roy gets married, or getting married, invites me, Ray, come to the stag party. I didn't go and ask our vicar. I knew what he would say. I would be in condemnation. So I thought, I'm going to go there, my mates. And I learnt something that night. Uh, we went to a, a place uh, somewhere in Surrey. We had a room in a pub to ourselves and we, we had some drinks. And Roy said, Ray, come on, tell us a story. So I said, OK, I'm going to tell you a story I've never told you before. <laughs> One thing I learnt that night, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's a whole load of people out there. And it was a very sober night. Nobody got drunk, but we just talked all that night about Jesus. And that's how I've lived my life ever since. So that's the way God wants us. So if the separation is not being separated from the world, it's been separated for Jesus to be in the world. Father, he prays, don't, don't take them out of the world for goodness sake. He knew what the church was going to do to the church. Don't take them out of the world Keep them from the evil one. So part of our holiness is not just living moral lives. Remember Terry Virgo, many, many years ago, probably 30-odd, 40, 40 years ago, coming to the church at Big Hill, he said something, I could see some people didn't like it. He said, he said, if you live a life that is based on not wanting to sin and you never sin again, you will not please God. Oh, Terry, why do you do things like that? <laughs> he said, because without faith... It's impossible to please God. He wants you out there. Not just living morally, but living a life of faith and sharing that faith. So, and this is what they did. The other thing, and I liked it about your church this morning, generosity. Because this guy, Agabus, goes down to Antioch and he prophesies. And, you know, when it's that sort of directed prophecy, you've, you've got to decide, well, what are we going to do about it? I mean, God doesn't, let us in on these things because he just wants to, you know, give, give us a bit of knowledge. It's that we, that we act on it. And bless them, they acted well. Paul and others took up offerings so they could give to the Judean churches. Judean churches, which were Jewish, basically, there was two reasons for this. One was famine relief, but the other was to say, we're one. We're one. Even though we've got differences, even we know there's issues, law and grace, you know, and you're not, you're a bit suspicious of what's happening up here. Hey, that sounds, that sounds right up to date, doesn't it? We're going to bless you. Um, I don't know how much you know about um, um, Bill, is it Bill Johnson? No, 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 that's, that's Bill Gates, that's my other mate. Um, Bill Johnson, <laughs> out in America, um, you know, he's uh, signs and wonders and all the rest of it. And that's what you hear about, some people like it, some people don't like it. But you know one of the things he does? It was a church down the road that even speaking against him that they've got problems or they've got pressures or they're short of money, he just sends them a load of dosh. He says, bless you. 
We're of the same family and we're going to stand with you. Wow, we are to be the most generous people on the face of the earth. And as Owen said, it doesn't have to do with how much money you have. It has to do with your heart. When I was 65, and that was a long time ago, another decade, I found one day someone put £30,000 in my bank account. I said to Sue, hey, 30,000 quid in a bank. Do you know where that's come from? No. She said, I'll get onto the bank. So you do nothing of the sort. <laughs> <clears throat> By the end of the week, I've got 90,000 pounds. Whoa, yeah, now forget it, it's gone. I got four daughters. <laughs> but 90,000. What had happened was, you know, practicing law, I'd been involved, I did quite a lot of domestic conveyancing. And I used to arrange loans for people and I used to do, um, uh, what, what do you call them? In those days, you used to have endowment mortgages. So I'd often take one out myself. Scottish Widow, Scottish Amicable, Standard Life. They were good companies. There I am, 65, well, nearly 40 years later, they have matured. Everybody said they're not going to be worth anything. I thought 90,000 wasn't bad. We'd forgot about it. So I said to Sue, kids are going to get this. I know once they know. So we're going to Jamaica. We're going to go on a holiday, all inclusive, the sun, golf, own golf course, nothing to pay. Once, once we got there, and we went, and it was fabulous. And uh, couples only. So I had to make a phone call to, to say, what do you understand by couples? Because mm, just to make sure. I don't want to be on a beach with a lot of guys kissing one another. And uh, so, so that was a long time ago. Yes, yeah, no, no, it is male, female. So I said, right, fine, that's good, so we go. Anyway, we're playing golf, so we go to this fabulous place, and, the, and you have a caddy, somebody, big guy, they're very poor out there. So big guy and a little girl, um, they lined us up with two other people. Um, we didn't know who they were. They were a couple from, from England, um, retired and so we got to know them a little bit. And so they had a little girl and she carried two bags. Carrying two bags, six miles, 95 degrees of heat, you know, because they're that poor. So I said to the caddy master, what are, what are you, what, what are you got to tip the caddies? He said, well, anything between 10 and $30 American. I said, that's fine. So we, um, um, we play and uh, our caddy... I don't know why I tipped him at all, because he, he kept telling Sue where to putt, and she beat me that morning. Um, but um, when it came to tipping, this guy who we were playing with got his big fat wallet out, sold a business, made a lot of money, and he gave his caddy, this little girl, who was, I thought we were going to have to give her a kiss of life, gave her $10. And um, I, I got my wallet out, not quite so fat, and I gave our caddy $50. So this guy looks at me, he says, why'd you do that? That is not encouraging them. I said, well, my guy looks very encouraged. It's your, it's, it's your girl that doesn't look very encouraged. He said, well, why did you do it? I said, because I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the, of the most generous family across the earth. He said, you're off, child. I said, no, I'm a Christian. He says, so am I. I said, well, you're a stingy one, and the Bible has a lot to say about people like you. Now, this is the point I'm making. When you are generous, God is going to bless you. He is going to reward you for everything that's gone in there this morning. He's going to bless you. Okay? So we're sitting in the evening in a nice, nice restaurant, uh, oriental restaurant, low lights, 
and uh, nice food and wine. And, and we're just talking about the kingdom of God. We're, we're really saying how faithful God's been. Here we left a, a good job, good salary, and followed what we felt was God's leading. And has he led us down? Never. Have we gone without? Never. It may not have come through salary, but it's come through. And God's just a blesser. And we were talking about the kingdom of God and, you know, counting our blessings and just enjoying ourselves. And then in the morning, a young fellow comes over to our table. This is around this pool this time, and it's much lighter. And he said, my name's Ian. I want to be your waiter this morning. So I said, why? He said, well, I think I served you last night, but it was so dark. I wasn't sure. Are you the couple talking about the Bible last night? I said, no, we're talking about the kingdom of God. I said, well, you're Christian. He said, no, I want to be, though. And we had the privilege, the reward was two days later, Ian came to the door. He had loads of problems, went through a divorce, but then a year or two later, we had a photograph of his baptism there. Hey, look, we ought to be the most generous people on the face of the earth. Barney saw it. It wasn't there in Jerusalem, but it was there amongst these converted pagans, Gentiles, who probably most of us are. And when we're the most generous people on the face of the earth, God just loves it. Why? Because he's the most generous person that's ever walked on the face of the earth. And he wants a church that is grace-filled like he is. Truth and grace-filled. So there's four things. The last thing, and I think this is an important thing, we could spend an hour on this on its own. There was an absence of legalism. Now that's so important because what, what, what was stopping the church in Jerusalem was this whole thing of legalism. Because basically they taught this, you cannot become fully a Christian unless you first become a Jew. And that means the law, and for men it meant circumcision. And that became a great controversy and was for quite a long time um, in the church. Um, but... Here in Antioch, there was, there, was, there was no legalism of that, of that kind. Now, what is legalism today? Because we're not into circumcision. Oh, thank goodness it makes the eyes water, <laughs> don't it? Just the very thought. But we're not into that sort of stuff. But what, what can we be into? Well, I think when we got saved, um, we joined this little Anglican church. Well, it wasn't. It was, it was, it was a good-sized Anglican church. Um, and after we got our little house together, and people, people started to visit us. And after a while, we, we thought, wow, what were they? So they'd come and they'd look at our, they'd have a look at our bookshelf. Dennis Wheatley, you read Dennis Wheatley? The Devil Rides Out? Well, actually, I read his historical, doesn't matter, it's all from the same spirit. Christians don't read Dennis Wheatley. Okay, okay. Where do they go next? Record collection. Now, you don't have record collections, although it's coming back. Vinyl is coming back. And so Elvis Presley, Elvis Presley's grandmother's favourite now, but not in those days. And then there was Jean Vincent. I love Jean Vincent. Bebop, Balula, she's my baby. Oh, do, do you like that stuff and all that jiving? Oh, you just bugging your backsides these days, don't you? You don't really <laughs> dance. I love that stuff. Jean Vincent, you play that backwards, it curses God. I have trouble playing the blinking thing forward. <laughs> I mean, what nonsense. Guess where they go next? Come on. Where do they go next? The fridge. You know, they look at her. You lived with this for a while, didn't you, in Sidcup? Yeah, I remember. I had some Barneys down there. The fridge. Beer. 
wine, anything that's there. And did you get told off for that? So what do you do? You do? What you do is this. Next time they come, they, yeah, they find Dickens and Shakespeare. I hate Shakespeare. I hate Shakespeare. And, and what else do you find? Record Tchaikovsky. In fact, he was a pervert. Doesn't matter. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, grape juice. I hate grape juice. <laughs> but, but we are. So we're nice. We're charismatics. And we're all very friendly and that. And we're superficial. And just what we've just done, we just killed the friendships we had. Because friendships have to do with allowing ourselves to be ourselves, to be different, to be open to sharing, etc., etc. And Paul, when he writes to the Galatian church, you see, because, because some of James's guys, the heavy guys, did visit Antioch, and that's the background to the Galatian letter, and when they saw all this freedom and liberty, they really did sort of bring a lot of, a lot of condemnation, so much so that even Barney, it says, and, and Peter backed off and would not have table fellowship anymore with the Jews. And Paul, he publicly, he accuses, he accuses um, Peter of being a hypocrite, double-minded. That's a big deal. He's the rock. He's the leader of this thing. We're like having Terry Virgo here and Owen have to say, sorry, Terry, we just don't believe that. That's a lot of nonsense that you're speaking. And that's, that's not what you told us all those years ago. You're a hypocrite, Terry Virgo. Okay, now don't single that out and put a tweet tomorrow, Ray Lowe said, <laughs> all right? But it is. And, you know, why? There was so much at stake. You lose your liberty. You lose the freedom of being yourselves. And this is the diversity that God loves us being different as we blend together. The second thing, Paul writes and says, did God do miracles amongst you and signs and wonders because you followed the law or because you believed the gospel that we preached you? Sometimes people say to me, why don't we, why don't we see healings? Why don't we see miracles? Why don't we see the things in our church that you, you, you see something in your church? I say, because you're legalists. You're traditionalists. You won't change. And therefore, you limit what, the, what God can do. And that's what was happening there in Galatia. It's an angry, angry letter. If this was a men's meeting, I'd go through some of the Greek with you. It is really an angry letter. And Paul is very rude in this letter, particularly towards the males. You lose your freedom. You lose your joy. Legalistic Christians are miserable Christians. You know why? Because you can't keep it. I used to minister in a big church, and I say a big church in Mexico City uh, for years. Lovely guy. Um, he'd been a playboy. He had lots of money, and, uh, but he got on heroin. One night, Jesus appeared in his room. He was wonderfully converted, left everything, went to the prisons, preached the gospel, built this big church in Mexico City. Lovely guy. But they, they, they asked me, next time you were over... Hey, you don't bring photographs of your family and things like that. So I took some photographs of my family. And he said, is that, is that Christmas? Yes. He said, is that a Christmas tree? I said, yes. He said, that's a phallic symbol. He said, he said that. He said, in my church, you get put out of fellowship if you celebrate Christmas. I said, well, I said, actually, it was Martin Luther that first started the tradition of Christmas trees. He cut down a tree, put, put lights on it, and said, this is, this, we celebrate Jesus, the light of the world. So I said, this is not a bunch of Americans who wrote some weird stuff. 
But he wouldn't have it. I never preach. He will never preach in this church again. We lost. But his wife looked as miserable as sin. Why? Because she wanted to celebrate Christmas. Now, you may not celebrate Christmas. You have the freedom to be miserable over Christmas if you want. <laughs> God gives you that freedom. All right? I, but I choose not to have... I choose to have the other freedom. But we lose joy. We lose freedom. We, we lose that God-given ability to be different from one another. And that is the multicoloured diversity in the church. This is what Barney saw. This is what thrilled Paul. And then if you turn to Acts chapter 13, what happened a year later, and this is why I think Paul taught the nations for a year, they get together for a meeting. Probably lasted for days because they had a sense that God wanted to do something more. And I want to say to you prophetically this morning, God wants to do something more with this church. And so they came together sensing something and they and and it says that teachers and prophets came together it's a good mixture those inspired by the spirit to see visions dreams and get prophetic understanding and those in the word that can check it and balance it they came together and at the end of that meeting whatever it was I think it was probably three or four days the Spirit said, separate Barnabas and Saul to the work that I've called them to. Now, we usually send out the boys to do the work. God doesn't do that. He sends out the men. And the boys stay at home then to build the church. That's why we train the boys and girls and get them mature, so they take it on. But what happens is this, that from that Antioch explosion from that visit from Barnabas, not trying to impose the law on them and get them in line with Jerusalem, but seeing the grace of God and saying to Paul, this is it, I've seen it. They then go on mission and they then produce the same thing. That's what happened to me in Biggin Hill. And I'm, I'm not boasting other than in the Lord. It was the gift that God gave me and I used it. And God's given you loads of gifts here to use it for the next phase. We planted out several times um, in, in other communities um, and, and the church released me a lot. So I travelled, been travelling basically for the last 30 odd years um, because I built the church with everybody functioning so they didn't need me other than just to do my little bit. And that's what God wants today. So that when people engage with you, whether it's down the pub, whether it's in a meeting, or whether it's on a train or a plane or playing golf or tennis or, or whatever it is, what they're meeting is the grace-filled church. And that's what this world needs and our nation more than most. Sue and I just had a wonderful holiday out in the sun and uh, we've had some wonderful divine appointments with people and we found an openness an openness overseas that you don't find so much here. And that is why we need to pray, God, give us openings. Amen? Amen. How do you respond to this? Oh, just do it. <laughs> when people say, will you pray for me? I'm, no, I'm not going to pray for you. You've just had an hour of the word, for goodness sake. You don't need prayer. You need action. And that's what, that's what we need to do. Okay, so if you, if you want to be in Orpington tonight, come. There's a meeting there and I'll tell you how to do it and how to live life in the spirit and uh, function in that way. But for now, let's just pray. You love the Lord Jesus yes. with all your heart, your mind yes. and your soul? Yes. Well, you've got to get a bit more soulish. 
because the soul is who we are and who we give away to others. Amen? Amen. That's what we do. Because you've got treasure. You're the next best thing to Jesus Christ. That's true. You represent him. What a privilege. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Who thought that you would pick up rubbish like me, filth like me, and you made you turn a saint, a sinner into a saint, and give me a job to do, and put up with all my funny ways and still love me to bits. And Lord, that's true for each one of us. And Lord, we want to, we want this church to grow in grace more and more and more, so much so that this building is going to be too small to contain all those that you want, and that in other parts of this borough. Churches will come out of this community, Lord Jesus. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, that you've given us your spirit to make it all possible. And I, I just pray this week there will just be a, a deeper sense of your spirit being upon folks here. And uh, Lord, that as they live in their lives out there, where they work and where they shop and uh, where they eat and drink and where they have friends, there's going to be those opportunities to just, just explain and share something of this wonderful, wonderful grace that you have shed upon each one of us. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for this, uh, this hallowed time. I thank you for this precious time for Sue and I to be back here in Brixton, seeing that Brixton's doing so well. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 That's it. Finished. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.